You are listening to the teaching ministries of Southwest Church, located in the heart of Springboro, Ohio, at 150 Remick Boulevard, beside the Kaufman Family YMCA. Please visit our website at www.southwestchurch.org. for joining us for this week's message from Senior Minister Roger Hendricks. This weekend we're beginning a brand new message series entitled The Gospel Unchained. And we are truly excited about what I think is a very important message series for us as a church to really grab onto and embrace the the message uh, and the theme behind uh, these messages we're going to be looking at. Um, And yet, as Andrew shared earlier, we're eager for you to help us with coming up with our next message series. So I hope that you will take some time and fill out this card that you found on your seat. We're going to take that daring step of saying we're going to let uh, the congregation come up with some themes for us to unpack and discuss uh, in the end of July and 1st of August. And so we want to encourage you and invite you to uh, either fill that out and drop that in a box uh, as you leave uh, today or take it home, think about it. We'll be collecting these over the next couple weeks And uh, we're looking forward to a series entitled, You Asked For It. But with that said, let's let's pray before we begin uh, a series that we've been putting together uh, that I think is really important for us to understand as a church. Let's pray together. Dear God, thank you. Uh, Thank you for what what a great God you are and that you are a God of love as we just finished singing. And Father, you're also a God of power and a God of hope and a God of grace. And we thank you for all these wonderful attributes that describe you. And yet, Father, we're also grateful that you're a a living and active God that wants to work in our lives. And I pray, Father, in a very specific way that during our time together, that your spirit will empower me and give me the words to say that will speak to every person here in such a way that as we take a fresh look at what is the gospel? And what, how will the gospel make a difference in our lives? I pray, Father, that uh, that, that message will really ring to, uh, through and to every heart that's here. And so we just commit this time to you, asking you to be at work. And it's in your son we pray. Amen. Well, during this series, we're going to be examining one of the first books, possibly the a very first book written in the portion of the Bible called the New Testament. Now, as we discussed in our Wednesday uh, night class entitled Getting to Know Your Bible, the New Testament portion of the Bible is the part of the Bible written about Jesus, his life, and his followers. It's important to realize, though, that the Bible is put together in such a way that it's not necessarily in the, in the uh, chronological, uh, historical timing that these events happened or in the chronology of when they were written, uh, that they were really were grouped together in groupings. 
that dealt with different uh, issues, topics, or particular focus. And so if you look at the table of contents in a Bible, you'll see a listing of books. And, and this graphic that we've got to throw up on the screen, the top two shelves are the Old Testament, the part of the Bible written before Jesus came to earth. The bottom two shelves are the New Testament. I, I know that you can't see the writing on these various books unless you're up front, which is, by the way, a good reason to sit up front, but that's just uh, another point for another day. But anyways, um, if you look on the third shelf, there's this whole row of green books, okay? Those green books are all books that were written by uh, a guy we call the Apostle Paul, whose original name was Saul of Tarsus. His Jewish name was Saul. Uh, He became a Christian, and he took the Roman name Paul. Now, these books, these green books, were actually letters written by Paul. They were written to either uh, individual churches or just individuals, maybe were leaders in the early church. And so if you look at the table of contents from Romans, which was written to a church in Rome, all the way to Philemon, which is a guy named Philemon, those are letters that Paul wrote. Now, there's an interesting letter, probably the very first letter that Paul penned was a letter written to the Galatians. Okay, And this wasn't to a particular individual, it wasn't to a particular church, but it was to a whole region of churches. It was a Roman province called Galatia. And, and Paul was writing to all the churches that were in that province. To help us relate to that, it would be like today if the Lord inspired a letter uh, written to all the churches in a particular state in our country, okay? So maybe there'd be the Hoosier letter. Okay, I'm from Indiana, so I'll try to always bring that up, okay? Uh, maybe there'd be a Kentuckian letter, okay? And I shared first service that the words would be real small, okay? And I'm sorry, if you're from Kentucky, I apologize. But I grew up in Indiana making fun of people from Kentucky. And so uh, uh, that just kind of carries over sometimes. And if there was an Ohio letter, letter written to Ohio, it would probably be called the Buckeye letter. Now, I'm grateful that there isn't a Buckeye letter in the New Testament, because every time I'd say, turn to the letter to the Buckeyes, I'd hear somebody say, O-H, and then somebody over here would say, I-O, and that would just be torture for me. But uh, I'm grateful that that's not the case. But Galatia was a Roman province. It was a region northwest of Jerusalem. Now, this map that, again, you probably can't see the writing on this map. If you see the dark green area that goes from Mediterranean all the way up to the Black Sea, that was the Roman province of Galatia, which is what's today is modern-day Turkey, stretching that entire south to north. This is the region that the Apostle Paul visited on his first missionary journey. It's where he planted a number of churches in cities like Antioch, Pisidia, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. And you can read about that in another book of the Bible called the Acts of the Apostles that goes through the uh, first 30-year history of the early church. And then the letters were often written back to the churches that were planted that you read about in the book of Acts. Now, as we investigate the Bible, we can be pretty certain that Paul's first missionary journey, which is shown by the lines here on this map, uh, occurred about 47 to 48 AD. 
and that Paul wrote the letter of Galatians, so he planted the churches in Galatia during 47, 48 AD. Then later, about a year later, 48, 49 AD, he wrote a letter back to them. Now, I think the significance of this is that only two decades after Jesus had died on the cross, was buried and resurrected, the good news of Jesus had spread all the way from where the crucifixion occurred in Jerusalem or outside of Jerusalem, which is the very bottom right-hand corner of this map. It had spread through the Middle East, throughout Israel, on up into Asia, and it was on the verge of coming into Europe. It's amazing. In 20 years, these first followers of Jesus so enthralled with the gospel message that they couldn't keep it to themselves. And they shared it with everybody they could, and just it's spreading throughout the world. And this was before planes, trains, automobiles. And so there was no modern-day transportation. It just was spreading through word of mouth and through missionary efforts that the Apostle Paul and others took place. So with that as the backdrop, let's dig into this remarkable book. And, and if you think about it, we're going to be reading over the next, this week and next five weeks from probably what the, is the earliest Christian document. It's the earliest document written to Jesus' followers. And yet what we're going to see is even though it was written 2,000 years ago, it applies to our life today. So in Galatians chapter 1, verse 1, this letter is from Paul, an apostle, I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. All the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. May God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins. Just as God our Father planned, in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Immediately as Paul begins this letter, he identifies himself as an apostle with divine authority, appointed by the God who raised Jesus from the dead. Paul doesn't waste any time to review the very core of his message, which is centered in the message that Jesus died for us. He died for our sins on the cross, and yet God the Father miraculously raised him from the dead. And he powerfully states this at the very beginning of this letter. And this is a message that when we combine this this pure gospel message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ with our faith and internalize it in our hearts, then we will find just as the display on the background behind me that truly the, the strongholds and chains from this evil world will be broken free from our lives so that we can truly live a free life. The powerful opening is really a blessing that Paul extends in this first 
few sentences. He says, may God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Now, this opening greeting hints at a tension that we will feel throughout this letter that Paul's writing to two different audiences that are receiving this, both the the people that have a Jewish background and those who have a non-Jewish or Greek background. See, the Jewish people of, of Paul's day It was very customary for them to write in their letters in the introduction and also at the ending of the letter, shalom, which is a Hebrew word for peace. The Greeks tended to use another word in their greetings, and that was grace. And Paul combines the two to make a very strong point as he begins this letter, is that it's only through the grace of God found in Jesus Christ that we can truly experience peace. Grace is a, is a great word. I love the word grace. If you look it up in a dictionary, you'll find a definition where it says unmerited favor, unmerited gift, an undeserved gift. My favorite definition of God's grace is God giving us what we need instead of what we deserve. I've shared this story before, but, but it's probably the clearest illustration. When I was a math teacher years ago, I was teaching general math, and I was teaching math for for juniors who were trying to pass a general math course so that they could graduate. And I had a kid that just really struggled with math, and I tallied up the grades at the end of the semester, and he, he deserved an F. But I decided to give him a D minus. Now, Maybe many of you, if you got a D minus on your grade card, you would have been upset. You would have been disappointed. This kid, I mean, he struggled with math so much so that he was thrilled to get a D minus. And when I showed him his grade, he went, yeah. And I said, that's grace. As a public school teacher, I had to be careful, but I, I tried to throw in little seeds of faith every once in a while. And he looked at me kind of funny, like, what do you mean by grace? I said, it's a gift. Now, me motivated by that gift to work harder next semester is what I told him. You see, God's grace to us is a, is a gift. Although we deserve as sinners to be separated from God and spend eternity away from God, the Bible describes that as hell, the good news is in Jesus Christ, we can be forgiven and we can be given a gift of life. We don't deserve it, but we need it. That's God's grace to us. Now, Paul begins this letter with the profound statement that because of God's amazing grace, we can truly experience peace. And I would add to this greeting, if you don't yet understand grace, if you've not yet internalized grace in your own life, then you've not really come to know the peace, the wholeness that God longs for you to experience. Now, with this powerful first five verses, it's only the introduction of this letter. I love this letter. It's, there's so much. In fact, I went a little long for a service. I'm trying to talk a little faster second because there's just so much here, and I've been reading commentaries. I've been listening to what other people had to say about Galatians, and I just got so much. I've got to condense it down to what, what maybe we can share in our time together. You know, as I said, I love this letter. It's described by many as the Magna Carta of the Christian faith. 
This letter is an amazing announcement of the freedom that we can have in Christ, which is good news for believers of every generation. If you go back 500 years, there was this guy named Martin Luther who who was really tired of, of the religion that he had inherited and a religion that he felt was dry and stale and, 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 and he longed for something richer, something more fulfilling. He came across the letter of Galatians in the Bible. And he called it, he called it his letter. In fact, he called it his Catherine. And you might say, well, why did he call it Catherine? His wife's name was Catherine. And he said, I'm so taken with this letter. I'm so in love with it. It's my Catherine. Now, I love the letter of Galatians. In fact, when I discovered Luther's commentary on Galatians about 20 years ago, I was just enamored by it. I just couldn't quit reading it. I just thought, this is good stuff. And it speaks to my life today. And even though I love it, I've never called Galatians my Jane, and I don't really plan on doing so, okay? But that's how how taken Luther was with this letter. Now, after this powerful greeting, Paul gets right to the focus of this letter and addresses the true meaning of the gospel. So next, we want to come up with a working definition of the gospel. And so if you're taking notes, you might want to fill in that first blank gospel defined. How would you define it? If I just threw that word out, gospel, how would you define the word gospel in a sentence or so? What would you write on the page? What does the gospel mean to you? Well, let's look at how Paul breaks into this subject. In Galatians 1 verse 6, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Now, this alarming, abrupt focus by Paul is different than the other letters that Paul wrote. Most of Paul's letters that he writes to individuals or churches, the first chapter, it's all good stuff. It's all positive stuff. I mean, he wrote to this letter, this church in Corinth, in fact, this church had so many problems, he had to write two letters to them. We got them in our Bible, First and Second Corinthians. And, and when Paul writes this church that had all kinds of issues and all kinds of problems, the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, he says, hey, you're loved by God, you're called by God. I mean, it's all good stuff. But there's something that's happened in Galatia that has upset Paul so much so that after just this brief introduction of saying peace and grace to you, he gets right to the point. He says, listen, you've quickly deserted the gospel that I taught you. And you've turned to a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. Now, let's get the context here. This is only one year after Paul started this church. And already they've deserted the gospel. Now think about our context. We're living 2,000 years after the gospel of Jesus Christ was first preached and taught. Could it be that, that other gospels and, and gospels different than what the Bible really teaches has started sinking into the lives of some believers in some churches? Well, we're going to see during the course of this study that that's the case. 
Well, what is the gospel? Well, the most basic elementary definition of the gospel is just literally what the word means, good news. In fact, some translations will translate the word gospel as good news. That's not watering it down. That's what the word literally means. When, when, a, when someone would report back from the battlefield good news for a particular army or particular country, that would be a gospel message. You see, it was used just not in the religious world. It was used in the common vernacular that this is a good news message. Well, what was the good news message that Paul had first preached to these people? Well, to find that, we go to another book of the Bible called the Acts of the Apostles. And in the Acts of the Apostles, in chapters 13 and 14, you read about how Paul and his companions travel through this region of Galatia, and they teach them the gospel of Jesus Christ. People respond to it, become Christians, and churches are planted. And let's read what that initial message was that Paul preached. In Acts 13, we're going to just get to the heart of it, verse 38 and 39. It says, brothers, understand what we are telling you. You can have forgiveness of your sins through this Jesus. The law of Moses could not free you from your sins, but you can be made right with God if you believe in Jesus. We can see clearly that Paul is teaching from the very beginning that through faith in Christ, we can have forgiveness of sins and be made right with God. This good news of salvation, which is offered for all people, is a free gift from God if we will simply receive it through faith. In Christ, we can experience a real peace, a real confidence that we are in right standing with God, a right standing that truly leads to a sense of meaning, of wholeness, and of peace. I can still remember the first time I truly understood the gospel. The first time I truly understood that Jesus died for my sin. Now, some of you might say, oh, did you not, didn't grow up in a church? You never heard about Jesus and him dying? No, actually, the truth is I grew up going to church three times a week. And I heard every Sunday when I grew up going to church that Jesus died for us. And yet, I couldn't connect with that message. It didn't make sense to me. I couldn't understand how someone dying 2,000 years ago would make any difference for me today. And so I went to church, and, but I still just couldn't grasp it. It wasn't until my second, the end of my second year of college that the gospel message really began to seep in to my heart. Now, as I look back on that, I recognize that the reason why the message, I think it had been taught to me before, but the reason why the, the gospel didn't make sense to me, why it didn't really resonate in my heart is because through my teen years and through the first two years of my college years, down deep, I didn't really want to be free from sin. You see, I was going through a period of my life that I still was enjoying sin, and I was still pursuing it. Oh, I'd go to church on Sunday, but, but what was my life like Monday through Saturday? 
And so the truth of it is, I didn't want to really be free from the power of sin. I didn't really want to have the chains broken in my life. And so because of that, I think that the message of the gospel really didn't seep in. But after two years of college and realizing that the pleasure of sin wasn't bringing me real happiness, when I recognized and realized that going to parties and doing the things that other college students did, there wasn't any meaning there. And I started thinking, maybe Jesus has some answers for my life. And so, yeah, I'd been going to church, but now I'm going to church with a different heart. I'm saying, is there something in this message that will make a difference in my life? You see, I was ready for the chains to be broken. And when I got to that point, the gospel message that Jesus had died for me on the cross so that I wouldn't have to be declared guilty for my sin, the message that because Jesus came back from the dead and he had been resurrected, that 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 message of new life that, that, that Jesus would bring into my life, that was good news. I wanted that. I wanted a new beginning. And so like those first followers in Acts 13, if you keep reading in Acts 14, Paul talks to him about being followers of Jesus. He talks to him about having a whole new kingdom perspective. At age 19, for me, that message resonated because I wanted a new life. How about you? Maybe there's some here today that If you're honest with yourself, the chains of sin and the chains of this evil world have you all locked down. Oh, you might put a smile on on Sunday mornings, but if you're really honest with yourself, you're chained up. Does the message of the gospel ring through to your heart? Does it give you hope that there's a better way of life? I hope it does. And for us as a church, as we're serious about following Jesus and making disciples, I hope this message really resonates with us and that we recognize this is the message we're to share with others around us. Well, after we hear the gospel proclaimed and after we recognize that Paul has some strong words, strong language to speak to these first early followers of Jesus, Let's look at our second point is that for them, unfortunately, the gospel had become distorted. My fear is that in many circles today, the gospel is distorted. Let's keep reading in verse seven. Paul writes, evidently some people are throwing you into confusion or are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we are an angel from heaven, should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Boy, that's strong. He says, as we've already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Strong language. He's saying, he's saying let there be a curse, not a blessing on anyone who's preaching a different gospel. Now, that's, that should wake us up, and it should help us realize 
that we need to make sure we're preaching and teaching as a church and that we as individuals have accepted the gospel that Paul first preached. In a book that I've been reading entitled Conversion and Discipleship, uh, the author talks about this danger of letting a different gospel creep into our churches. Let me read to you what he had to say. He says, if we attempt to grow Christ-like disciples with a flawed gospel, we will fail. Remember, the kind of gospel we believe and teach directly determines the kind of disciples produced. If we're not preaching the biblical gospel, we're preaching what Paul would call a different gospel. A different gospel leads to a different Christ, a different church, a different Christian, and a different culture. I have a friend that says the gospel we preach determines the the disciple we make. So a very strong practical takeaway from us, for us as a church from this passage is to ask ourselves, have we believed the gospel that Paul preached and that was first preached to those early Christians? Or have we allowed over the 2,000-year history of the church to, to accept a different gospel? You see, it makes a difference between whether or not we're going to receive a blessing or a curse. And it makes a difference of whether or not We are the disciples that God calls us to be, and if we make the kind of disciples that God calls us to be. Now, to help us connect with this passage, let's briefly look at, at, we won't have time. I had three I was going to share with you, but let's look at two counterfeit gospels that that are still preached today. In in the first one, uh, the first one is the kind of gospel that Paul was warning against there in Galatia. It's called a legalistic gospel. This is the focus on religious practice. It's a compliance to certain religious law, but what it creates is a religious anxiety where you're never really sure that you're in a saved relationship with God. This is a church experience that's void of joy and peace. And honestly, it's an experience that unfortunately I fell into. After getting off to a great beginning as a college student and following Jesus, after I graduated from college, my wife and I became a part of a church that, that became very legalistic. And the religious leaders of that church, they, they seemed to just keep giving us more and more stuff to do if we wanted to call ourselves a Christian. And what happened over time is I found myself doing more and more and more, but I found the joy of following Jesus seeping out of my heart. What had happened is I started focusing on what I was to do, and I lost sight of what had been done for me on the cross. You see, in many ways, the gospel can be summed up in understanding the difference between the words do and done. Some churches, they just keep giving people things to do. If you do these things, if you do this, you do this, you do this, and you're never quite sure if you've done enough, the message of the gospel is it's done. Jesus died on the cross. He rose from the grave. That's where you put your hope. That's where you put your confidence. That's where you can find peace. Have you allowed the counterfeit gospel of legalism to creep in to your life and your belief system? 
A second counterfeit gospel, I think sometimes, is the reaction to the first. And that's what I would describe and what Hulls, uh, Bill Hulls, the book I've been reading, describes as a forgiveness-only gospel. He says this is a kind of gospel where the whole focus is on being forgiven. And typically what accompanies that is a teaching of Jesus and then just say this simple prayer and you'll be forgiven and then you don't have to worry about anything else. The problem with that approach is it doesn't, doesn't get person, a person anchored into what does it mean to have an allegiance to Jesus? What does it mean to be anchored into being one of his followers? You see, Paul goes on to describe this forgiveness gospel as it creates a mindset that following Christ is optional. Our hope during this series is that we will lay out the real gospel that Jesus came, died, was buried, and resurrected. But that's such a powerful message that we should embrace it with all of our hearts and we should allow that gospel message to change us and to transform us into new people. And that because we're new people, we need to share that story with others so that they can find the forgiveness and the newness It's only found in Christ. You see, Paul was so taken with the gospel that he couldn't help but share it with others. And he demonstrated that, and that's our last observation today. He demonstrated that in the the letter of Galatians as he tells his story. Paul was always telling the story of how Jesus had made a difference for him. And I think that if we've really understood the gospel, we'll have a story to tell. Paul in the book of Acts tells his story three times. But in Galatians, it's probably the very first time it was written down. And let's read how Paul demonstrated the gospel with a a changed life. In Galatians 1 verse 11, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source, and no one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. You know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion. You see, before Paul met Jesus Christ, he was a persecutor of the early church. He says, how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for traditions of my ancestors. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news, the gospel about Jesus to the Gentiles. If you go on verse 22, he says, and still the churches in Christ that are in Judea didn't know me personally. All they knew was that people were saying the one who tried to persecute us is now preaching the very faith he tried to destroy. We see in the life of Paul the unchanged power of the gospel. It takes this this. Jewish zealot who thought his purpose in life was to try to stop Christianity, and it converts him into this guy that becomes known as Paul the Apostle. And he goes throughout the world telling and proclaiming that Jesus had changed him, and Jesus could change them. And here's the good news. 
That message is continuing to change lives today. We're seeing that happen in the life of this church. Two weeks ago, we had two individuals that responded to the gospel message and were baptized. Cedric, who was born in Kenya, was baptized, and that was great. It was great to celebrate with Cedric. And then it was great to celebrate with Grail, a guy that's 85 years old that says, listen, I want to surrender to God's plan for me and be baptized. And with every baptism here at Southwest, we encourage them to recognize that they are not being saved by what they're doing. They're being saved by trusting totally in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And that in baptism, they, they get to reenact that death, burial, and resurrection. And that they're trusting in that faith act totally what Jesus has done for them, how he died, he was buried, and he was resurrected. This gospel message changed Paul's life. It changed my life. And it continues to change lives today if we will simply let it seep into our heart. Has the gospel changed you? I hope it has. If not, I want to encourage you, keep coming back the next five weeks as we unpack together this glorious gospel that's described in the letter to the Galatians. As we wrap up our time today, we're going to observe another faith act that's designed to continually remind us of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. You see, when we take communion when we take the bread. It reminds us of the body of Jesus that died on a cross for us. And when we take the cup, we're reminded that his blood was shed, that he died. And yet the, the communion service, the communion time is a reminder that Jesus is going to come back. It's a reminder that he's alive, that death couldn't hold him. And so as we take communion today, I want to invite you to allow the gospel message to seep into your heart. As we take communion, let's realize that we're not focusing on what we do, but we're focusing on what's already been done for us. And so if you're like me at times, feels like that you fall short, let's rejoice that our hope is in the gospel. I came across in my study a a, a British preacher named Dick Lucas, who said, he said, if you knew how sinful I really was, he said, you wouldn't listen to my gospel proclamation. But he said, if I knew how sinful you really were, I wouldn't waste my time sharing it with you. You see, but he says, by grace, because of the gospel, we as sinners can cling to this message. And in communion, we're reminded no matter what kind of week we've had in the past, that as we start this new week, that our hope is not in our performance. Our hope is in what Jesus has done for us. So as we take communion together today, let's rejoice in what was done for us. And let's allow that message to truly impact us. Let's pray together. 
Dear God, we thank you. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace that's extended to us in Jesus Christ. And Father, as we take communion now, help us, help us in our hearts celebrate what's done for us. Help us get off the treadmill of trying to be good enough, trying to be religious enough. And help us just embrace Christ and the goodness, the forgiveness that's found in him. Help us put our hope totally and completely in him during this time. It's in his name we pray.